1: Welcome back to the Women's Podcast, I'm Rosheen Engel, and if this is your first time listening or you just recently started listening to us, thank you so much for putting us in your ears. You can get in touch with us all the usual ways on email, Podcast at irishtimes.com or on social at ITWomensPodcast. Today we are talking to two brilliant young black and Irish women. They are carving out paths in medicine and law and we talk to them about the barriers they have faced and overcome. Agogo Opara is a Nigerian-Irish medical student at UCD. She holds the title of Gold Medal Winner for Research Excellence 2023 at UCD's School of Medicine. She placed first out of 133 medical students. She has been named Face of the Future by the Irish Times and a trailblazer in Black Irish history by RTE. Agogo is also a content creator with an audience of 250,000 plus across her social media platforms where she advocates for health equity and access to education for children from underserved communities. Innie Ekiolu is a Nigerian Irish law graduate, currently a paralegal at Deloitte, Ireland, and she's about to start as a trainee solicitor. She's passionate about access to education, giving multiple keynote addresses at corporate and university award events. Innie is also an emerging content creator, speaking on diversity in law and sharing advice to support the entry of ethnic minorities into the legal industry. Innie, you might remember, has been on the podcast before speaking on a number of different subjects from men's violence against women to our live event, Older and Bolder. In this episode, we're going to hear from these two young black Irish women who have excelled in their respective fields of law and medicine, despite plenty of obstacles along the way. Their achievements are the result of perseverance, dedication, confidence, talent, and of course, a lot of hard work. They have had none of the privileges enjoyed by many of their classmates, whether family connections in the industry or expensive educations, and they talk about this really eloquently. We had a wide-ranging, and I hope you agree, fascinating conversation, which we hope will be hugely encouraging to other young women who may have been told that certain career paths are not accessible to them. We talked in the conversation about imposter syndrome, about dodgy school guidance advice, which I think we've all had, and about how the Dublin riots affected them. I began by asking these bright young women to introduce themselves, starting with Innie.
2: My name is Innie Akeolu. I'm a current paralegal at Deloitte, Ireland, and a future trainee solicitor at Arthur Cox. So I've been studying for my FE1 exams. I have the majority of them finished now, and I will be commencing my training contract in 2024.
1: Excellent. And you live currently in Dundalk, but you'll be moving to Dublin.
2: Yes, we'll be moving to Dublin. Really excited for the move. Want to be in the city centre where everything's happening. So really excited to get off here. Agogo,
1: tell us your little potted history.
3: Yes. Hi, everyone. So my name is Agogo Para. I am a second year graduate entry medical student at UCD. I'm also a content creator, so I create content on TikTok and Instagram, have a combined following of around 250,000.
1: Very impressive. (laughs)
3: Thank you so much. Very unexpected even how that growth happened, but I love creating, so it it makes me happy. It's kind of like what I do on the side to college. And I'm also a writer, so I have a blog. I love expressing myself in different ways. And yeah, that's kind of me
1: why you're both very interesting is that you, you occupy this space because you've talked about it, I think, and, and, and written about it as well, about yes. being black and Irish, mm. uh, having that Irish identity, but having that very visual, different identity that people, you know, are commenting on all the time and saying, so can you talk a little bit about that for us and how you merge the two and what other people's reactions are to that? Yeah. Because it's a constant thing that you have to deal with.
3: Yeah, mm. definitely. I think... Um, For me, and like I've written about it before on my blog, it's a complex identity of having to, you know, battle with where you were born versus how you were raised um, versus where you grew up. Do you know what I mean? It's like living between two cultures all the time. At home, I have a particular culture. As soon as I step outside my house, there's another culture. There's different expectations on both sides. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, in Ireland, sports would be a huge thing, like Gaelic football and stuff. And when I was a kid, I would be playing GAA. And all, all of that was good. But then at home, it's like that that wasn't a thing. Do you know what I mean? At home, we have very different interests. And I think, like, being a kid, all you want is to fit in and belong. And when you don't know what to fit into, and there's two opposing stories it's really hard to navigate that, you know? So I feel like I've literally spent most of my life trying to come to that place of acceptance that, look, you don't have to perfectly fit into a box. You can create a space for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been trying to become more and more comfortable in as I grow older that, okay, I do have this dual identity. It's very new because like, you know, black, being a black Irish is a very new identity. It's not like there's a blueprint to work from. And I think that's exciting, you know, because it's like cool, I get to create what that means for myself and I don't have to look to other people and be like this is the standard I have to meet or the expectation I have to meet. So I mean, trying to find the more positive side. Yeah,
1: I like the positivity, but obviously, it's challenging too, Annie, to to move through these two cultures, two identities, yeah. and probably a lot of the challenges other people's perceptions. Because yeah. I think you know, uh, I I feel like people judge people a lot based on you know what they their assumptions they make about people, which is absolutely ridiculous. Whether people are black or white, you know, you mm-hmm. just don't know what's going on with yeah. other people, so it's a silly thing to do anyway. But presumably, that's something that happens a lot with you.
2: Yeah, I think. Like, it's really lovely what Gaga was saying because it's really interesting. I think whenever I just go about my daily life, like, I identify as, like, Nigerian Irish and, you know, you're here all the time, so everything is grand. But when someone comes up to you and they're like, oh, where are you from? And (laughs) I'm thinking... Where am I from? Yeah. <laughs> where am I from? So that question so is kind of difficult to navigate because there's already things like, where was I born? Where am I living? Like, which nationality do I choose? So, you know, you say something like, from Dundalk, and they're not <laughs> accepting that answer because it's it's not it's not really palatable to them. So they're asking, oh, where are your parents from? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, you have to go in and go in. So it's I feel like when simple things like that pop up it's kind of a reminder of you know my heritage and everything of course obviously the everyday but it's it's such a simple question with such a difficult answer or a complex yeah, answer.
1: We've had a few articles in the Irish Times about that question, where are you from? And mm-hmm. I've sort of stopped asking that question. I was mm-hmm. someone who would have asked that question of mm-hmm. people and then just finding different ways to talk to people because obviously I think people are interested in heritage yes. and interested in people's backgrounds mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways it can be kind of an innocuous question. It doesn't have to always be a loaded question yeah. but mm-hmm. it also has layers. Yeah. So it's it's just navigating that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I
3: think like naturally it's a natural question funnily enough, Like, I think it just comes, it becomes confusing when you're on the end of it. That's like, wait, what do they mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you mean where do I live? Do you mean what country my ethnicity is? And like, that's where it can be difficult to navigate. Because I would agree, I love learning about different cultures. I love meeting somebody who, like, I can tell by their accent that maybe they've just emigrated to Ireland exactly. do you know what I mean yeah. it's like I want to learn about where you've come from yes. but it's like it's just this confusing space when I suppose you've lived here all, lived here all your life and sometimes you're met with that response of yeah. after you say oh I'm like I can say I'm from Dublin and they're like no like where are you really mm-hmm. from versus some people genuinely just want to know are you from Dublin or are you from Dundalk yeah exactly do you know and it's like how do you tell
2: the, the difference the difference is you don't know it's so tough. that's why it's like that kind of difficult what do they mean? I don't know yeah. which one that they're and it's looking like, for. So if
1: you say you're from Dublin and you say you're from Duck, I mean it's accepting that answer rather than kind of going, <laughs> no no I, you don't understand, you're yeah, not really yeah. from Dublin or Dundalk, you know, and I'm going to now tell you why yeah. that's not the right answer. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous isn't it? Um, let's go back to sort of growing up. You, you were saying you've here since you were three, so you know what I mean? Irish, like you're, you're here all that time. But growing up did you have any clashes or moments where you were othered and felt, and, and made to feel like that? Because you've written quite well about that, as you said, in your blog.
3: Yes, thank you. I definitely have. So I was actually just with a friend yesterday who I went to primary school with. And so I went to two primary schools when I moved to Ireland. The first one I went to, I went by my first name, which is Agogo. And I remember... Maybe because, like, kids are just kids. Kids are innocent. And people would make fun of my names because back then, you know what? We call a bobbin now, we would call a Um, go-go. So people would be like, a go-go, and it'd be like... like, a bobbin for your hair was called a a go-go. Literally. So they'd be, like, dangling a bobbin. I'd be like, (laughs) a go-go, a go-go. And it's funny, and... And all of this. But I felt like as a kid, like when you are feeling the difference between you and others so prominently through your skin color Mm. and now people are making you feel it even more. It was really, really difficult for me because all you want to do is belong when you're a child. Mm. You don't care about anything else, but feeling like you fit in. And so I remember when I moved to my second primary school, when we moved away from that town I was in and... I started like halfway through the term. So in like January, I remember right before going into the classroom, like junior infants classroom, begging my mom, do not tell them my name. Let's go by my middle name, Aww. Sophie. Like I literally, I vividly remember it like mm. it was yesterday. I was like, please don't tell them my name because All I wanted was to feel normal and Mm -hmm. to feel accepted. And I think after that, I really went through a lot of like an identity crisis because all I wanted to do was to assimilate and to feel accepted. So I was giving up a lot of parts of myself, rejecting a lot of parts of my culture, Mm -hmm. of my identity for the sake of wanting to fit in and Mm -hmm. wanting to feel like I belonged and. It's taken me a lot of years actually to break out of that. Like even going by my name, Agogo, I didn't actually start going by it again until I was maybe like 18 years old. And even then it was like when I'd introduce myself to people, I'd say, hi, I'm Sophie, because that would be the easier thing. Because I'd be like, if I tell them my name is Agogo, it's going to become a conversation in itself. So let's just go by what's easier till I got to the point where it's like, why constantly reject yourself just for the sake of other people's comfort. When you know yourself, you're not comfortable. So I don't know, it's been an interesting journey because I think obviously how you grow up forms a lot of who you end up being as an adult. Like, I don't know if you've had any experiences like that,
2: Any? Definitely, and I think I resonate deeply with the whole having to assimilate and it's kind of, it comes from self-preservation. You know, That's how you're able to thrive in, in environments like this. I vividly remember myself just on the point of how kind of your childhood and your growing up really does affect how you go into adulthood, I was in um, going into secondary school and I was in first year. I was actually really excited to go into secondary school. Mm -hmm. And, And I was always, I was a pretty good student, you know? I would listen to the teacher and everything like that. So I got called into the principal's office one day. I was like goodness over the intercom everyone's like "Ooh, what did you do <laughs> got called into the principal's office and she's giving out to me and she says the teachers are saying that you're talking too much and the teachers are saying that you're not listening all these things I was staring to see I was crying I was so upset and then she went to my grades and she goes oh oh wait Wait, I mixed you up. It's not you. Oh. It's someone else. Because <laughs> someone else has black. Someone else does black. Someone oh. else that had a similar oh. name to mine. Oh. Well oh obviously goodness. completely different last names. And um, so she had like, you know, completely slated me and then when she realized it was the wrong person <laughs> She was like apologetic a bit and then, you know, sent me back to class. And it was just that kind of experience and then going through our secondary school of being one and the same and just, oh, everyone is the same. Everyone kind of looks the same. All of like the black students and always like mixing up our names and not seeing us as different identities, as different Mm. people. And I think from that, it really stuck out to me that I need to stand out. I need to show them that I am any, and this is who I am. And, you know, like I got into public speaking, I got into student council, like prefect, all these sort of things because I want them to know that Innie is Innie and this is what she does and you can't confuse her with anyone else. And I feel like it's continued to this
1: day. <laughs> but you bring up something really interesting, I think, because what I'm hearing from you, because of that experience and I'm sure other experiences, there was a sense in you that you were going to have to work twice, three times as hard as other people in order to not have stuff like that happen to you, that you're going to have to stand out, which is quite a burden in a way. I mean, great because both of you are obviously (laughs) so high achieving. You've managed to get this far in in exactly what you want to do. But uh, Gogo, what do you think about that? Does, Does that resonate that you've had to work harder?
3: Yes, I definitely think so, especially like even just thinking of background, for example, like OK, so I'm in medicine and in me- medicine, a lot of people are coming from extremely privileged backgrounds and a lot of like, I think people forget The amount of influence, your background and even like your parents, your connections, Mm -hmm. all that has in who you become. All that social
1: capital that people build up. Exactly. Like
3: over the years, whereas you're coming from a place where you don't have anything. Like I'm basically the first doctor in my family or I will be the first (laughs) in my family. And I just like I know when I was preparing for the HPAT. So I have a very complex journey to medicine. It took me a few years to actually get in. But when I was in secondary school, you know, preparing for the HPAP, preparing for medical admission exams. I didn't have anybody to ask questions to, even like this, I didn't go to a fancy school. So they didn't have many students that would have applied to medicine and therefore they didn't really know how to help me. So my school couldn't help me, at home I couldn't be helped. I was probably like 15 at the time trying to figure out how do I get my head straight here? Because I wasn't only applying to you know, Irish medical schools, I was also applying to UK medical schools. And for them, I basically had to submit my application at 16, meaning I had to have everything in order at the age of like 15 years old. And it by was- By yourself essentially. By myself. Yeah. Exactly. And so I had to really push myself to like work hard, do as much as I could. That was in my power. And you can't expect a child to know how much like how much they can do or how much they can accomplish all by themselves without any external help. And I don't know, I think like looking back now, I understand why I've had such a challenging journey, because it's like you didn't have the resources like handed down to you, if you get me. But going back to your point about like having to work extra hard. I think it's a very interesting topic, I've heard people argue this even this whole thing of black excellence, this concept of we only celebrate black people oh, when they're excellent yeah. versus, you know, like it's okay to be mediocre. It's okay to yeah, be average. Yeah, it's the average. same as
1: with women as well. You know, it's okay to be yeah, an yes. average, you know, woman too. Exactly. We, we, we all, like, again, we're celebrating these people who reach the highest, yeah. highest mm-hmm. echelons. Why can't you just be ordinary, you Why know? can't
3: you just be ordinary? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And
1: <laughs> it's just so strange. Not that you two are obviously going to be ordinary. <laughs> the rest of us, you
3: know. go yeah, on. <laughs> I think it's so strange that like, yeah, you have to really, really fight to just almost prove that you are worthy to be in a space. And like you said earlier, we should be seen as worthy just being the individuals that we are. Like our worth should not be tied up in how hardworking we are or how much we're able to offer to a table. Of course, hard work should be rewarded and all of these things should be celebrated, but people should also be embraced for just the core of who they are. And Mm. I think that's something that tends to be overlooked a lot when it comes to being of... Minority in terms of race, gender, etc. Class, all of class, those things. Because exactly. I
1: think class is an issue. Of what you're describing as yeah. well as ethnicity. Because um, you know the fact that you went to that school where they were weren't used to perhaps medical students, and and that you had to do it yourself. Any does any of that? Sort of, <laughs> I feel like everything that um, Agogo has said is resonating with you.
2: Yeah, I think when it came to I was saying this to Agogo today, um, class became visible to me when I went to go study law. So I. I enjoyed my childhood, happy girl, but I didn't realise that I was coming from a
1: disadvantaged socioeconomic background.
2: There's, a, there's so. a funny
1: thing in Derry Girls, I don't know if you watch Derry Girls, but there's one scene where one of them goes to their, I think we might be poor. And the other one's like, I think we're poor as well. And it's like that realisation, yeah. especially yeah. if you had a happy childhood. Exactly. Like I grew up in quite a poor household, but I thought it was fine. And then you'd go to other people's houses and you'd be like... Oh, and then people are going off on foreign holidays. You're like, oh, right, that's how other people live. Go on, anyway. Entering the world of law, did did it become very acute? Yes, it did (laughs) in
2: many, many different ways. But in my second year, I realised that, you know, I want to qualify. I want to be a solicitor. I want to do the whole thing. And I had another um, friend of a friend who was also in law who was another black student, and he told it to me straight. He said, if you're not from UCD Trinity, if you don't have rich parents, if your family is not in law, if you don't have connections, you will not make it. And I remember being at the table crying because I just wanted it so bad. And then he's telling me that you need to go above and beyond, and then I realized the importance of connections. I said, "Okay, if it's a connections game, I'll make my own connections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll make the my better own woman." <laughs> I just said, "Let's go." So I started doing everything. I did everything. I I did a lot of extracurriculars. I got involved. I did a lot of public speaking, and I met so many amazing people. Amazing, amazing people who taught me so much, who led the way, and I think. It's something, it's just, it kind of accumulated Mm. bit by bit by bit. Because when people see me now, they're like, how'd you get there? But it really was years of just doing something, getting involved, putting myself forward and um, whenever I had the time, whenever I was able to volunteer. And it's great, but at the same time, it's like, why should you have to... It's kind of like a full-time job yeah. on top of studying full-time, mm-hmm. yeah. on top of commuting, on top of whatever caring responsibilities you might have at home. There's a lot of aspects there that um, play in mind, but it's, law is an interesting one. It's a very... It's a very tough to navigate industry and it is a bit taxing, but I do think that the rewards are are worth it. I wouldn't I don't regret anything. Mm. I completely love the decision that I made to pursue law. And I think even with this episode, what I want to like let people know and anyone who is in like primary school, secondary school, college, whatever it is, if you're from an ethnic minority and you think that it's not attainable to you me and a are literal representations <laughs> mm-hmm. that it is and you're not
1: the only ones right we're not the only ones yeah, yeah. we're exactly. not the only
2: ones at all and I think finding mentors in Ireland who had a similar background as me were just great inspirations that I clung on to yeah I clung on to them so hard I was I was able to go to them for even empathetic support as well as professional support and they were able to offer um, so much Proper, valuable advice mm. that they didn't have, and it's
1: just paying it forward. And going back to what um, Agogo was saying, like in both your fields, I imagine sort of you can witness um, nepotism. You w- you see people whose fathers, <laughs> grandfathers were doctors, whose fathers, grandfathers were lawyers. <laughs> yeah. That feeling of this is just your chosen path, and mm. they didn't even have to think about it. They didn't have to go around making connections. So it's 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 really an extra layer layers and layers of a of a burden on you to kind of to stay the course.
2: Yeah, it is. It it definitely is. And it's something that you kind of, you assimilate, you learn how to do, it becomes natural. Like learning how to kind of take advantage of the room. Like I found myself being really loud in the sense of I will easily go up to anybody and ask them questions and start talking and say oh really interesting I'd love to have a coffee if you have any time okay. and I'm not afraid to do that mm. and sometimes um, people one, one time I was at work and I was talking to a man that he he looked a bit lost in the lunchroom and I invited him over <laughs> and I said oh are you new here too? Turns out he was the COO oh. of the
1: <laughs> the chief operations officer, no Literally. less. Literally. I was getting a bit of a networking done there with the new boy in school. Honestly, yeah.
2: He was so lovely, and I sat down and I just had lunch with him, talking to him casually. And I remember being on a call, and the partners were like, "How were you able to to just start talking to him? Like you, you felt comfortable enough?" And I think it's just a skill that I had to learn. Yeah, it wasn't. But a, a, a
1: skill that probably, and you can come in on this as well. I go, go. Is there also that um, you know, loud black woman? and, you know, making the presence felt, can also be something that people judge you for, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that something you've had to figure out and navigate because your personality is, you know, <laughs> you're who you are and, yeah, you know, but, but is there times when you felt like, oh, I'm making too much of an impression or people are judging me for this?
2: I'm not going to lie to you, Roisin. Um, I'll walk into a room just to eat my lunch and people will be staring. So, like, it'll be a situation that people are going to notice me, see me. And if they have that impression, that's their own. Like, I can't do anything to change anybody's impression. I can only do me. And I will do whatever I need to do to get where I need to be. I, I know, love your but. confidence. And I'm, I'm presuming,
1: you know, that confidence came from how you were brought up as well, because it doesn't, oh. you, as they say, as we say in Ireland, don't we, you don't lick it off the stones. Mm-hmm. It comes from somewhere. Go, go what about you? Are you conscious of that um, stereotype and that perception of black women?
3: 100%. And I think it's something that is important to consider um, whenever you are trying to stand up for yourself or when you're trying to make a point, because The thing about stereotypes is you can't change the fact that people have them. People have, you know, biases and prejudices and you can't change that. Mm -hmm. So you have to be wise and working around it. So although it's unfortunate, like if that means that if I'm in a conversation and something is said that upsets me, I have to sit for a second, calm myself down, remind myself of the environment I'm in, And proceed accordingly, you know, and that can be difficult at times because, you know, somebody else in a similar situation might not be perceived in a different, like in the same way, if they had a certain type of reaction, like they could be seen as upset versus me being seen as an angry black woman or something. And it is unfortunate that those things exist. But I feel like at all stages of society, there are there are stereotypes that will work against you if you are not careful with them, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I think it's so sad because there are people like I wouldn't I wouldn't consider myself generally a very loud person. I think I'm I'm quite a quiet, introverted person. Um, but there are people who are naturally loud. Just
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just well, I'm Christmas. one of them, I and mean, definitely one of, them. Exactly. Definitely one and of like, them.
3: I think it's unfortunate that like certain people like that will feel like you have to dim yourself mm. or something if you don't have that sense of self-security and yeah. that sense of assuredness in yourself. And I think for me, because maybe not in the loud stereotype, but in other stereotypes, I've kind of learned that. If you know who you are, mm. and if you are sure in who you are, it doesn't matter what people it's think of you. such a good you, point. You, you know? Google, yeah. Because if it's not, so important. you're going to constantly be dimming yourself. You're going to so constantly be upset. One thing I always keep in mind, something I, um, I've i heard from one of these like faith preachers that I listen to, it doesn't matter who doesn't like you. What matters is who does. Mm. You know. So if people are forming stereotypes and they're saying all sorts, if those people cannot benefit you in a mm. tangible way, why Why even care? Do you know what I mean? Like what matters is, and I'm hoping that the people that you care about liking you are the people who are respectable, the people who are kind, the people who don't limit people to stereotypes in the first place. I always kind of think in that sense of it doesn't matter if they, these people think I'm this or that because y- you can't do anything for me anyways. And yeah. even if you could, I'll find somebody else who can, who will (laughs) not limit me to a certain or box. Brilliant.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is
0: coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. Talk to me about imposter
1: syndrome. Is it something that you've experienced? And if so, how have you dealt with it? Because I think uh, whatever ethnicity or ev- everyone listening to this podcast will will know what I mean by that. And perhaps it's something even more that you've had to deal with. So tell me about that, Any
2: Imposter syndrome is, and I didn't even know the name of the feeling <laughs> until I spoke to other people and I did a bit of research into it. Um, I have this little nagging voice in the back of me that... You don't belong here. You tricked people. You know, you did. People are saying that you worked hard. You didn't. I have this voice saying that, like, um, you're going to lose it. They're going to realize you're a fraud. This kind of, like, I'm a fraud is in my head. And even on how to navigate around that, it, it is a work in progress because, you know, you're walking into a room and the majority of the time you're the only person of colour in the room. So that's definitely a point, you know, especially when um, you kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And sometimes you forget, I forget that when I'm when I'm walking about doing my everyday, I do forget that um, I'm the only like black person in the room or the building sometimes, you know. Or the <laughs> building, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, oh like sometimes, yeah. I remember one time I was doing some work in the office, click-clack up of the laptop, and I felt eyes on me, and I turned around, and someone was just staring, just stood staring, and I'm just wondering why, and then, you know, it's this kind of, it goes back to that feeling like, you know, you did trick everyone, you did cheat, you know, you didn't do, you didn't do your exams properly, like, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff, and it's like, if I was anybody else, I wouldn't be feeling like this, I'd be, walk, if I was, a white man, I would be so confident. I'm walking around <laughs> like, I earned this. I, nobody can tell me anything. And sometimes I need to remind myself that it's a constant reminder that you worked hard. You deserve this. You did what you had to do. And But it's like, you have to constantly remind yourself that. And it is, it is tough. And it is something that you forget. And it does have effects on your everyday but at the same time I think it is getting lesser and lesser but you have to be aware of it and you have to make a conscious
1: effort mm. to tell yourself that that you, you, uh, you do deserve you deserve yeah. everything I, I I mean is it something you've had to Google?
3: yes and it's something I continually have um, <laughs> so, a work in progress <laughs> yeah like a work in progress because yeah. yeah, I haven't overcame it completely yet I am mm-hmm. um, I feel like maybe because I have a quite a peculiar journey to medicine as well. So I started pursuing medicine when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and I was 22 and I finally got in. So I did six medical admission exams in the process. I did the HPAT twice. I did the GAMSAT two times, and then I did the UKCAT and the BMAT, which are both UK exams. Can I ask
1: you why that it was such a, a long and winding kind of yeah. process? Um, I think, first of all,
3: because this is a thing with imposter syndrome. Initially, I was thinking, is it just that I'm not smart enough? Am I not intelligent enough? Like, what's the issue here? But then it goes back to this whole thing we were speaking about earlier, lack of background, lack of resources. For example, what, three of the exams I did when I did the UKCAT the B mat and the H Part, I did them in the space of like seven months three major exams that most people would only choose one to do. Mm. But I wouldn't know because I was like 16 at the time. I didn't know (laughs) (laughs) that you shouldn't do three major exams. And they remind like the hardest exam I had done prior to these was my junior cert. So (laughs) I wasn't wasn't prepared. Like I remember for the BMAT exam, which you need if you're trying to apply for like Oxbridge and certain universities in the UK. I had to teach myself physics from scratch because I wasn't doing physics in school. And it's like putting that amount of pressure on yourself, of course, you're not going to do well in those exams. As in, you you don't have the resources, you don't have time on your side, you're spreading yourself out too thin. So that was the first thing for me that made me realize, OK, resources make a difference. You know what I mean? Having advice, having guidance yeah. makes a huge, huge difference in preparing yourself. And I didn't have that preparation And um, when it came to the HPAT. So I did the HPAT a second time when I was in my first year of college. I'm not sure the exact reason I didn't do well and that I think I wasn't. I was trying to get used to college life, you know, like first year of college. Because as of that time, like all of my teachers told me in school, the leaving cert is the hardest exam you'll ever do. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong.
2: wrong. Um, Especially when you're in medicine, it's not the hardest
1: exam.
3: So I remember like I, I started off doing biomedical health and life sciences at UCD. And I was trying to get the grasp of that course, then I was doing my HPAT again. So of course I'm not gonna do well in it because you, you, you don't have time to settle in mm. and accept things and learn how to you know get on your feet. And mm. it was a lot because I was 17 when I got into college. And then going on to when I did my GAMSAT exam, so those were closer to the end of my um, undergrad degree. I did my first one in final year. Um, That one I know I didn't do well in because I just didn't give myself enough time to prepare. Mm -hmm. But the very last one I did, I decided to go all out, you know, Mm -hmm. push myself and really say, okay, I'm gonna do the best that I possibly can. And thank God I actually got the points to get in that time that I fully applied myself, had the wisdom that I lacked at 16, and was able to do the thing that I wanted, you know. But I suppose where the imposter syndrome kind of came into that is I remember on my first day of medicine of grad meds, I was in a conversation with a few girls in my class and they were like, oh, um, how many times did you guys, or they were like, did you guys know you always wanted medicine? And I was like, yeah, I've always wanted it. Like, you know, I've I've done a few exams. I didn't even mention how many. (laughs) And some of the people I was speaking to, they were like, oh yeah, I just kind of decided like a year ago. And I told myself that if the exam doesn't work out the first time, then I'll find something else. And I remember being in shock in that moment that wait a second not everybody has to you know go through such a strenuous Mm. journey and that's where the imposter syndrome really sunk in because I started comparing myself like Wait, so people can just be naturally, you know, talented, naturally smart. And I wasn't considering the background. No. These people. And were all the coming. things
1: that they had. Yeah, exactly. And the um, fact
3: that most of the people I was speaking to, they had doctors as parents. I didn't know that until a few weeks into medicine where I noticed a pattern of I'd speak to people and they'd be like, my dad's a cardiologist. My mom's a pediatrician. <laughs> and I was like,
2: oh, my gosh,
3: is this a thing? Yeah, and it's such a big thing. So I really had to battle with this thing of. You, you being good enough is not based on your past failures because your failures don't define you that's you know what such I mean? That's
1: such a good point well I want to read you out a few things if that's okay um, from a study last year in October um, by the Munster Technological University it's called The Black Ceiling I don't know if you know about this but it revealed experiences of women of colour working in rural Munster and I'm just going to read out some of the findings and I'd love to get your response to them so the study found that despite being highly qualified in a wide range of areas having received primary and postgraduate qualifications all of the women faced significant difficulty in securing employment. The study found that promotional opportunities are more likely to go to white men and women even where women of colour have higher qualifications and more experience. A strong recurring theme in the study noted by all participants was the difficulty in getting a job or getting their foot in the door with the study noting that the women face a double bind as gender and race both negatively impact their employment experiences. Due to the lack of women of colour in organisations in rural Ireland the participants expressed the difficulty in being a token black woman, which led to isolation by colleagues as well as loss of privacy, which is interesting, facing higher expectations than Irish colleagues. The participants reported having to outwork or outperform them in an effort to avoid further racial bias. Now, some of this might be surprising to some of our uh, white listeners, but I imagine to you guys that it was some of what some of it we've talked about already. But is that kind of depressingly sort of familiar?
3: Yes, definitely. I, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear any of that. Usually when I I when I used to apply to jobs, like before I got into medical school, um, I wouldn't get responses when I would put my name down as Agogo. So I would change it to Sophie. And then you'd get responses. And then I would get responses. I would literally get interviews when I would change my name as putting the more palatable name as my first name. That's when they would call me in. Or else sometimes when I would have it as Agogo Sophie O'Para, when they would call me up, they'd be like, hi, Sophie. I'm like, why are you ignoring my first name? (laughs) Like if if somebody's name was Anne-Marie, you wouldn't say hi, Marie. Mm -hmm. Like you would show, you would give them a sense of dignity, you know, and I... I found like that was an experience. It wasn't an isolated one. Like a lot of people around me who are also Black would have to do that when they're applying to jobs. And I think even that thing um, that the study mentioned about them having higher expectation by employ- employers, that goes back down to this whole, you must prove yourself. You must prove you're worthy. Like if we're letting you exist in our space, you have to prove yourself. <laughs> and I just think it's it's kind of wrong to put that expectation on people like because... The only reason, realistically, that you're putting that on them is because they are of a different skin color, which is ridiculous. Because say, for example, they had because I think some people think that, oh, no, you know, if if somebody's moved to a country, then of course, there's going to be a bit of an expectation that you will work a bit hard. But say, for example, it was an American an American man, white man, who comes—that they're not going to put that type of expectation because they're going to expect that he's already okay. Yeah, they don't need him to prove himself yeah. based on their prejudice and their like their perception of him as a person. And this is why I think it's so important that we address our bias, our unconscious bias, and realize that like sometimes without even realizing it, we can really limit people based on you know stories we've heard. There's this um, Nigerian author I love. Her name is Chim. Amanda um, you know her yes Yes, Yes. and she makes amazing amazing books and she's such a great speaker and one of the things I've heard her say before is this danger of a singular story this danger of when you all you've ever heard say for example you've never met a Mexican And you read a news article about a Mexican and there's negative connotations. And now you assume every Mexican is like that Mm. because of this one story you've read. And that's why I think that there's a danger in when we only limit people to one story. Like imagine, for example, Ireland has gone through so much in the past, things like the famine and other things that have taken place. Imagine all over the globe, people only tie us down to that. And so when an Irish person comes into a room and they're high achieving and they have a bit of wealth and they're doing well for themselves everybody is surprised and is like no you still have to prove yourself because because of this thing that happened years and years and years ago it, it's not fair and I think that's why it's so, so important that we sit back and really think about how am I perceiving others and where is that based from Yeah
1: that's so beautifully articulated you. really amazing um, your, both of your overarching message today I think is really about encouraging other young women um, who might be dreaming of a career that perhaps they've been told isn't in their reach, that they've been limited. Um, So what is your advice, both of you, to to people who might be feeling that? Because you've obviously managed to push through it. As we've discussed uh, at length, you shouldn't have had to push through that. That should be just something as available to you as anybody else. But unfortunately, you had to, and thankfully you did. But for other women maybe listening who feel that they're being limited, what would you advise them to do? I think
3: what I would say is, and it's something I've said before, if you don't see that person become them right when it comes to representation sometimes you are you only get hope when you see somebody else has overcome a certain battle sometimes you need to become that person for somebody else <laughs> you know what i mean like that's what i told myself growing up i and it, it's not that these people didn't exist but i didn't have people in my sphere i i wasn't well connected so i didn't have people who were black in medicine i didn't have anybody to look up to i barely believed that it was possible But I resolved within myself that if I don't see it, I'm going to become it. And I can't let the fact that, you know, all of these limitations, all of these challenges in society have to hold me back. Like I have to rise above it. And I think, first of all, what I would advise to such a person or to these women is to cut yourself some slack, first of all. Give yourself grace. This whole thing of having to work extra hard, Mm -hmm. sometimes just breathe, sometimes just rest and realize that, the opportunities that you are deserving of will come to you. They will come to you. Your hard work will not be in vain. And so you have to keep pushing even when there is resistance, even when there's people who are commenting things that are unfair, even when you're in rooms and you feel like everybody is looking at you, like you shouldn't be there. You have to push past and remind yourself that you have what it takes Mm -hmm. to exist in these spaces. You deserve to be there. It's almost like, completely, constantly reassuring yourself and speaking to yourself and giving yourself these affirmations like, no, I am a worthy human being. I am a smart lady. I am intelligent, I am bright, I have something to offer to the world and I'm going to do something with that. I'm going to use something with that. I think it's so important that you work on your own self image, you know, work on building that sense of self worth because once you build that sense of self worth, once you like yourself Mm. and really believe that you're deserving of things, the world is your oyster. Like you're able to do whatever you want, you know? And I, I think I've adopted that mindset myself. I really, really struggled with self image growing up, not just to do with race, with a whole plethora of different things. And it got to a point, not even that long ago, very recently, where I realized that, no, you are far more deserving. You are far greater than what you've always said that you are. And you need to start acting on that, you know? Like, use the power you have to do good. Any.
2: Um. Honestly, very, very similar to a go I would say literally feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah. Something that I always keep in mind is nothing grows inside the comfort zone. If you feel that twinge of, ooh, should I be doing this? Yes, you very much should be doing this and you should do it louder and bigger. That is what I would say. I think you need to work very much on your self-speak and what you tell yourself because Exactly as the Gaga says. Once you learn to actually believe, love, like, be with yourself, it really doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. Someone says, "Oh, you look very confident." I am confident. <laughs> I am. Thank you. I actually take that as a compliment. You need to be confident. Mm-hmm. It takes you so far. I think sometimes charisma, confidence, being able to tell a joke, it takes you so far. I think just I lean a lot on my personality and being able to. Yes, exactly. If you don't see someone where you want to be, you can be that person or you could find someone similar and just really go with it you can forge the path for yourself Mm -hmm. and you'll be helping not only yourself but other people Mm -hmm. and I just feel like you should definitely just go for it nothing is stopping you no one is stopping you they might try but you need to Mm -hmm. ignore and keep going keep going for it, and you'll get there you really will
1: on a a practical level what changes would you you both like to see in the medicine and law industries that would encourage more people from diverse backgrounds to to get involved
3: Um, one of the things I would say as pertains to graduate medicine is currently there's a barrier for people of lower socioeconomic background to get it in. So there used to be a loan and um, they called it the GradMed loan. Bank of Ireland issued it and it was basically a loan that lets you pay for the entire tuition and you pay for it all afterwards. So once you start working and they took away that loan two years ago. And I think the big issue is that it, with that is it creates a more elitist mindset around medicine where people who really want it and they've worked hard and they've made up their minds. Now they don't have the financial means. And I think that's a big issue that needs to be addressed because there are so many people, like I said, I have quite a platform that I've built based on my story. And so many people DM me on a daily basis like, is there any financial aid? Because I really want this, but my parents can't afford it and I don't I don't have the means by myself. Do you know what I mean? Like not everybody is lucky enough or privileged enough to study something that will get them a very well-paying job. And so for certain people they might have to wait 10 years before they're able to enter medicine for that reason. And within that time, they could have a family now. There could be other things that take place. There could be health issues. There's different challenges that suddenly arise. and. Now it's discouraging a person from pursuing a dream that they had the fire for 10 years prior because of they didn't have the means. And I think that's something that the government really needs to address and work on. Like I think scholarships even should be created yeah. for people to encourage people. Like I I was a recipient of the All-Ireland Scholarship in my undergrad, Biomedical Health and Life Sciences. And I know how that changed my life. Mm. Like I didn't have to worry about working during the semester. I could dedicate my all to yeah. my academics. And thank God I was able Able to graduate with the first because of it. But I had friends. <laughs>
1: Congratulations, who, <laughs> by the way.
3: <laughs> but I had friends who had to work tirelessly and who had to do the absolute most just to get by in college. And I just think that if I, of course, I know even with scholarships, there's always competition for it, like regardless of what your background is. But if the opportunity was there, at least people could try. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a big change I would like to see. And even when it comes to medical education as well, because I'm very passionate about this. I think it's so important that within medical education... Black healthcare is also emphasised, and by that I mean, for example, certain infections will show up differently on black skin to white skin or lighter coloured skin. Certain diseases will, like, will show up in a very different way. I have a friend, um, and she said her cousin had. She had a skin issue for the longest time. She kept going to different GPs, to different GPs, trying to figure out what's the issue. And it took them a year before they were able to say, you have psoriasis. Mm. No, psoriasis is not that crazy <laughs> a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it should be something that can be spotted, but because they're not trained or educated yeah. on what this looks like on a darker skin color, I just think as Ireland becomes a more multicultural society, these things, because I understand why they might not have been emphasized in previous medical education, but we
2: have to adapt there's
3: no yeah. excuse
1: there's anymore. No excuse absolutely Uh-oh. they're all really good points what about you Indian law
2: I think also um, yes, as well as um, socioeconomic access. I think financial aid is definitely a huge thing. I know on the route to being a barrister, it's like it's very expensive, and they do have scholarships available. But I saw recently that I think it's the Denim um, Scholarship. There's only allocations for two people out of the entire country that's applying, so definitely increases there as well as I know myself. I was a recipient of the um, Here Scheme Access um, Scholarship going to university with. Which was so helpful financially because like I, go, I didn't have to work so I was able to do all the networking things all of the extracurriculars that helped me be where I am today but something about that is that when I was in secondary school it wasn't even made it wasn't made aware to me so like even the fact that we have these scholarships in place but people don't know about it people don't know and they're not able to get access to it so I think being louder and really promoting it a lot more will be so beneficial to students and potential law students as well and also so I think um, with the firms, I know that a few firms are, are trying, but I think that a lot of direction is needed in terms of um, offering, offering services and offering... Not counselling, but um, advice in terms of CVs and clinics and other networking opportunities to people in college to help them access um, firms and companies as such. Mm -hmm. And as well, I know in the UK, because it's so rich in culture over in the UK, and I think in Ireland we're becoming and we're growing into it and it has really changed. But they have spaces dedicated to people of colour in terms of growing professionally and in terms of learning those really critical professional skills that will be so beneficial to people in their postgrad, undergrad, whichever it is. So I feel like we need to dedicate more spaces to people from ethnic backgrounds to really learn and develop and grow and it will be really beneficial just all for around. everybody. Yeah. For everybody. It's, just, it's
1: always it's always better. And the studies and the science all show that yeah. um just a couple of things before you go. I'm I'm just curious as to This right wing growing movement in in Ireland and everywhere, in Mm -hmm. fairness this, Ireland is full rhetoric, Mm -hmm. these terrible things, the Dublin riots. I just wondered how it has affected you both personally. And you're based in Dublin. So, Gogo, I'll start with you.
3: Um, Oh, gosh, that night was very scary for me. Um, I remember I had an appointment the next day. I cancelled it. Um, because I didn't feel safe leaving my house, I think for me, what was scary about it was the amount of people that showed up to those riots. Um, Because of course, you're always aware that there are people with extreme right wing ideologies, but you don't realize there's so many of them. Do you know what I mean? As in like, I'm used to being a person on social media, I get a lot of comments Mm. and a lot of bot accounts, a lot of accounts of faceless people saying strange things like, get out of our country, you don't deserve to be here. So I was aware it existed until those riots happened. And of course, I completely sympathize with the family and with the children affected and with the school, because it was such a tragic incident. And I think that should be completely acknowledged in itself. However, I was completely frightened by the response that came from that because just like we were talking about it really came down to this you have to prove yourself and even if you have proven yourself it's not enough mm-hmm. it's never enough and i remember in that moment go max like to that blog post i r- i wrote a few years ago it just reminded me of this whole thing of do I even belong here? I've spent 21 out of my 24 years here in this country, and yet still, it's never enough. Like nothing Mm. I can do is ever enough. And I remember hearing very scary voice notes that were circulating on social Mm -hmm. media. And my fear at the time was, so this means I could be on a bus sitting beside a person who has harmful intentions towards me just because I'm an immigrant. And that is terrifying. Do you know what I mean? And I really, it it was beautiful to see the solidarity that showed up from that and that people who were like, no, we're not all like this. And I think it's so important that people show solidarity in moments like that. However, it was extremely scary. Do you know what I mean? Like living in a place and you think you're safe because Ireland is generally a very safe Mm -hmm. country, extremely Mm -hmm. So to see that there are people out there with intentions, like I have a friend, her brother was out that day, and he got stabbed. And he was just walking home from the gym. He was just walking home from the gym. He hears footsteps behind him. And now there's a mob of like 30 men chasing after him. And he is terrified. And I was absolutely shocked when she told me like she was like she she he didn't know what to do. He was literally going to the guards like, please let me hide behind you. And of course, Mm -hmm. the guards didn't like it was a very scary situation for everyone that day. So it was hard to even navigate it. And I'm just imagining like imagine that stab was fatal. Imagine he passed away from Mm -hmm. the incident that happened that day and. I just think as a country, we need to do better to address these issues, these social issues. Of course, like the issue of the the initial problem that happened should never have taken place. And that's something that should be addressed. However, it shouldn't be pinned to the fact that somebody is from a different no. country
2: because no. it could have been anyone.
1: Honestly. Any any brief comments on that? Because I think Agogo has really summed it all up for yeah, me, hasn't Yeah,
2: honestly, like it, it's something that has been brewing, especially on social media for so many years. I think the riots was just a culmination of all of that and it definitely I don't think it was a shock that it happened because its it's been there it's been very apparent and I know myself I was in the riots I was out that night I didn't know what was going on I was not on my phone and I remember my white friends calling me calling my phone saying you need to get out of there like what are you doing and I was just like oh what's going on um, no but it was really 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 scary and again just to be going about your everyday life and to think that someone has ill intent it's just a bit shocking I don't really know what to say in terms of it because I don't think about it I really don't think about it it's not something that's in my mind I'm going about living my life and I just hope that everybody can be safe as they do so but I think that the government really needs to tackle down and not disregard this this is a very very prominent issue and it's only going to get worse if they don't buckle down and I think it was just the riots was something that was on a whole global scale because this was this was very popularized, and it's not something that Ireland should be put in that light for because, yeah. as you said, generally it is quite nice. So I don't know why <laughs> this would happen and it would just completely blow up yeah. the country for the well, wrong reasons. Well,
1: in happier news, tell me about your ambitions, both of you, because you strike me both as very ambitious people and <laughs> you are striving along in both your disciplines, medicine and law. What does it look like? Sort of, this is a very interview question, five years' time.
3: <laughs> what would you like to end up doing mm-hmm. at Goggle? Yeah, um have a lot of ambitions for the future. A lot of them are based around impact in education. I really, I'm very passionate about children. So to answer that, I want to be a pediatrician. Now I say that now. (laughs) By the time I do my placements, I might change my mind, but I love children so, so, so much. And I'm so committed to them because I see them as the future. Do you know what I mean? And they're so innocent and precious. So in terms of medicine, by the grace of God, I would like to be a pediatrician one day. Now coming into education, I would love to see, I would love to see empowerment of of children from disadvantaged backgrounds, just so they know it's possible. And I'm actually not even just limiting this to black children children from disadvantaged backgrounds as a whole. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? People who don't have parents who are wealthy, people who don't have connections, I want them to know what's possible. So I would honestly love to like start a nonprofit one day or a social enterprise that really focuses on empowering these kids. You know, I've, I've done some talks in schools before where I've spoken to children and I've told them a bit about my story and the responses are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I went to this Desh school in um, Dublin seven, uh, Last year, and I gave a talk, and the questions that they were asking, like, "Oh, what's college like? Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, if I want to study this, what should I take in my leaving sir?" Mm-hmm. And these were these were actual children, you know, like primary school kids, and it touched my heart so much because kids believe in the impossible. Mm-hmm. It's it's the disillusionment of life that makes them start limiting their thoughts. So it's like if we can get in the way of that disillusionment before it happens and let them know that, OK, even if you don't have the resources now, things can change. Anything can happen. That's what I'm passionate about. So I'm hoping in future to make an impact in education. I would love to even like this is a long term hope, probably not five years, but like <laughs> even like create a scholarship fund that mm-hmm. empowers these kids to, you know, to dream big and to work hard to get where they want. So th- okay. those are kind of a few That's pretty kind of cool I'm,
1: I'm impressed So what about you Annie, in the law in the field of law are we looking at barrister or are we looking at
2: Well I'm on the path of qualifying as a solicitor so honestly I was asked that question a while ago um, what's your plans for five years and it's so funny because I genuinely haven't a clue but I do <laughs> know that the sky is my limit and I see myself honestly when it comes to change because I feel like change is just so needed and someone needs to be pushing the boat on it so I know that change starts from the top and I know that I will get to the top to enact it yes. so be it partner be it a yeah. uh, politician <laughs> be it the next president whichever yes. it is love whichever that. it is you know you can check maybe not five years maybe 10 yeah, maybe 15 yeah, yeah. we'll see we'll see and I just definitely want to be uh, you know one of my friends is very like she oh she's just so confident I love her so much and she says she has her own talk show and she says you know I could be the next Oprah I don't care I'm gonna pioneer it I was just like yes, yes you will and I'll be on your show in a couple of years as well so you know if I need to be one of the first few um, black female partners at a top corporate law firm then yes so be it Mm -hmm. and I think I'm really excited for the future I'm also excited for the future of Ireland I think it's really changing and also for the positive I know that we have the negatives but in, in a whole it's really great it's so nice to be welcomed it's so nice to have people wanting to do change as well so it's it's really exciting to think about the future and the limited no unlimited the possibilities so I think great. you're limitless is what limitless. you both are <laughs> and
1: I have been so enjoyed talking to you and I hope you, that you can come back on and I think what this has been a, a, a sort of a piece about you know being black and Irish and, and breaking barriers and all but when we do stuff about health or when we do stuff mm-hmm. about law in the future like any you've been on talking about about gender-based violence yes. before with us, so I think that's really key. That you know, people of color aren't just on talking about being people of color. Yes. You know that you're talking about your. <laughs> oh good. Well, I'm on that board as well. I know yeah. that's what we have been talking uh-huh. about. But yeah. I mean, in the future now, we've made that connection, yes. and so when there is a health issue or indeed a pediatric issue that you know you might have an interest in or in law, as we've yeah. had you on before, I think that's the key point. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I
3: absolutely love that it's been oh. a pleasure to be it's here amazing. and even to hear from the different perspectives that you oh. both have like I think it's so great to literally because I don't even see this as a question like as a platform to just speak about being black and Irish because I was saying to any before we came in here that I think for a long time especially 2020 George Floyd Black Lives Matter situation a lot of conversations that you know, had black people involved was just about racism. I know. Yeah. You know? And we did
1: it here as well, so I yeah. understand. And but it's just it needs it, to broaden out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I
3: think yeah. it's good that everybody is learning from mistakes, you know, because we're human, we're gonna make mistakes yeah. and we learn from them and we develop. So like I would be more than happy to talk yeah. about this. <laughs> you will be nice you weeks. will
1: be back on. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank, thank you both thank the Gogo so and Inid. Oh it's been so great.
2: <laughs> thank you, Roshane. Thank you.
1: That was Agogo, Apara and Iniekiolu. there. Brilliant women we'll definitely be talking to again on this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe as it really makes a difference. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and by me, Roshin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time.